Well, our story starts today <laughs> that they have a son. He's 25 years old. And like most good parents, they have watched this kid grow up. They love this kid. You know, he was their firstborn son. And so they remember the day that uh, they brought him home. I, those of your parents, I don't know if you remember that. But I remember we brought our, our firstborn daughter home. And I remember that day just being sort of terrified, unbelievable that it was legal for me to be doing this, that the state would trust me with this child. It's like, hey, does anyone realize what's going on here? But uh, that, that was their story. You know, they're, 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 uh, it's their firstborn son, and they, they loved him, have high, uh, uh, high aspiration. This, this couple, they love Jesus, they love their kids, and they've invested heavily in this son. And uh, he's a bright kid, he's a gifted kid. Things were going well until he got into his teenage years, and then one thing led to another, and he's kind of gotten off track, and now he's 25. For the last five years, he's been out on his own, and it's one bad decision after the next. And so his life is spiraling, spiraling down. Uh, he kind of devolved into a partying lifestyle. He spends most of his nights partying, gets too little sleep. Uh, it's led to broken relationships and a long series of dead-end jobs. And a couple times in the last five years, he's asked to come home uh, for a short time because he's out of money, has no place to go. And both times, his parents who love him and they've, they've tried to give him some advice, both times they've said yes, but every time he does, it creates havoc in their home. It creates huge conflict in their marriage. It causes uh, their younger kids great problems because he comes home, he doesn't follow any of the rules, he flouts uh, all the family standards. And so today they get a call from their son and he says, hey, uh, I'm in a jam, I'm out of money, can I come home? It'll only be a few weeks just so I get my feet back on the ground. But they know, they know in their hearts it won't be a few weeks, it'll be much longer than a few weeks, and they know it's happened before. And so the choice is, he's homeless or he comes home and wreaks havoc. And so the question is, as followers of Jesus, what should they do? Well, today... We are continuing this series that we have been in now the last six, seven weeks, whatever it is. It's called Renew the Character of Great Relationships. For those of you who are brand new, every week we have new people, whether it's here or over in the Ridge, welcome. But um, uh, if, you're, if you're new, this is a series about God's vision for our lives and about the relationship between renewal, uh, this transformation that he wants to create, and character and the, way, and, the, and the impact that character has on great relationships. So what we've done in this series is that, that we've kind of built the whole series on five key principles. We introduced the first week. You see them there on your note sheet. We're not going to take the time to go over them again, but if you're new, uh, you'll definitely want to check them out. We may come back and repeat them next week as we kind of wrap up the series next week. But uh, I do want to start with just hitting the first one because it sets the stage for the whole series and also for our topic today. So there in your notes, you have a section called Renew, the character of great relationships. And the first one, as you see, is that God's vision is renewal. This is what we've seen every week, that, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, and for those of you who've been here, don't, let, don't, don't miss this, that long after this series is left, God's vision for your life is going to remain the same. That uh, it's not like, uh, like I made up this principle for this series. The, the principle is when you come to Jesus, he has such a vision for our life, it's so much bigger than simply forgiven of our sins, go to heaven when we die, that his vision is that we be transformed at a core level. We really change to be like him. Uh, we be renewed to be like our creator, which in turn would give us the capacity to build uh, great relationships in our life, not only with him, but with one another. So the key passage in this series 
There's been Colossians 3. We're going to come back to that uh, later. And so what we've been doing then is that in this series, we've been looking at uh, seven key areas of character that God wants to renew so we can be like him and build these relationships. And so today we come to the next one, and this is in many ways uh, the most important of all of them because it, it sums up and takes the rest of them, uh, all, all, uh, kind, of, kind of brings them all together. And that is what we call the uh, character quality of love, right? Or, or what the New Testament normally calls agape. And so um, there in your, um, on your note sheet, uh, I want to go back to Colossians 3, the, kind of the, the heart of this uh, series, and I want to see what Paul says about love. And so there in your note sheet, uh, let's jump in. Uh, there's a section called Love the Priority. That's where we're going to be. And so um, he says, so, so uh, as followers of Jesus now, don't lie to each other because you've taken off your old self. And so as we've seen, we've come to Jesus. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's is in a renewal process. We're going to put off the old self, the old person, uh, with its practices. We're going to put on this new self. You know, it's kind of like this Jesus self, which is being renewed. So that's where this series comes from, where we, once you come to Jesus, we enter this renewal process it's being renewed, and the goal is it's being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. So as we've seen, we are created, Genesis 1.26, in the image of God. We are created to be like God, but because of our rebellion, we've become unlike God. So the, the goal is when we come to Jesus to be restored, be like our creator in, in character again. And he goes on, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves and he's going to give us five, uh, five key character qualities we've, we've talked about in this series. The first one I especially want you to know, what's the first one on the list? Okay, that was really good. Now, for the rest of us, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, alarm's off. Okay, time to wake up. Good. All right, so what's, what's the first one on the list? Good. Compassion. Ridge, I can't hear you. No, just kidding. Um, all right, so yeah, compassion, right? So I don't want you to miss that. That one's going to become very important later on today. So first one, he says, uh, compassion. Uh, second one is kindness, and then humility. Of course, these have been what we've talked about in the series, gentleness and patience. And he says, so bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series with forgiveness. We've got to lay a foundation today of love, and then we'll come back and wrap it up with forgiveness. But then he goes on, and he says, and over all these virtues, okay? Don't miss, so so what are the virtues we've talked about? We've looked at these virtues, but we've talked about authenticity, we've talked about integrity, we've talked about courage, and talked about self-control, and empathy, and humility. He says, over all these virtues that we've been talking about, he says, I want you to put on love, on the Greek agape, which binds him together in perfect unity. Now the question is, what does he mean by binds them together like a rope, all these virtues in perfect unity. It kind of completes the package. Well, to understand this, we have to understand something Jesus said. Now, I know a lot of you longtime Christians, you're familiar with this, but I want to hit it again real quick. Matthew 22, if you're brand new, this is exciting, you've never seen this before. Jesus was once asked, of all the laws in the Old Testament that God gave to the nation of Israel, there were 613 of them, count that, uh, which one would be the very most important? And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6, a very famous passage. It's a, a passage called, in Hebrew, the Shema. Some of you probably heard of that. If you've gone to Israel, we, we talk about Shema a lot. Uh, and so the, the reason it's called the Shema, because the first word in Hebrew is Shema, 
which means to listen or to hear. And so this very famous passage is what kind of Orthodox Jewish men throughout the centuries say, every day the Shema. So, so it starts there. He says, so Jesus replied, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. Now, quick sidebar here. I don't want to miss this opportunity. Here at Rocky Peak, we have a vision. I know you all know it. We want to unleash, our vision is to unleash a movement of? Good. Passionate Christ followers. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say lukewarm Christ followers. It doesn't say half-hearted Christ followers. It doesn't say half-baked Christ followers. It doesn't say mediocre Christ followers. It doesn't say one foot in, one foot out Christ followers. It's passionate Christ followers. So like at our next step dessert that we have for guests, new people uh, to Rocky Peak coming to our house every month, I, I share, this is our vision. I said, you know what, As here at Rocky Peak, we don't care where you're coming from. We, we don't care when you come in, when you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you're mature, you're not, we don't care where you're coming from, but I can tell you where we're taking you. Amen. I can tell you where this train is going. Amen. I can tell you that if you come here, we're going to do everything in our power to help you become a passionate follower of Jesus. Because the way we look at it is if Jesus is who he claims to be, he deserves everything. And if he's not who he claims to be, he deserves nothing. There is no halfway house here. Right, so so uh, if you love God with all your heart, if you love him with all your mind and all your soul, what does that mean? It means practically he's the most important person in your life. It means he's the most important person. Uh, pursuit of your life. It means there is no other person that weighs in more important than he does. It means there is no possession. There is no pleasure. There's no position of power. There's nothing in your life that matters more to you than knowing him and loving him and pleasing you. It is the driving passion of your life. And what I want you to catch is the reason we have chosen that as our vision is because that's the vision of Jesus. If you love God with all your heart, that's what it looks like. And so Jesus, he says, that's what God really cares about. What God really cares about, top priority of all the things, is just that you would love him with everything you are. And he says, now you didn't ask this, but I'm going to give you uh, a second command because it's two for one Tuesdays. And so <laughs> he says, this is the first and greatest command. He says, but the second one's like it. Give me the coupon. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these two obviously apply. But then he says something really fascinating. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in other words, all the other 611, all the teaching in the prophets, that they all are simply, catch us an explanation or an illustration or a footnote of what it means to love God and love others. So like last week, we talked about this uh, with the Ten Commandments. All there is, that, hey, if you love someone, this is how you will respond to them, right? And so Jesus, uh, so, so this becomes then the teaching of the early church, and we see it throughout the New Testament. The most important thing is love. Uh, we'll look at a famous passage later on today, 1 Corinthians 13, about love, but uh, Paul will teach this, that, uh, that all the law is fulfilled in, by the law of love. He'll teach it in Romans, in Romans 13. He'll teach it in Galatians chapter 5. James will teach it in James chapter 2. You see it throughout the New Testament. For the Christian, there's just one ethic. 
And the ethic is, what would love do in this situation? So the question is, though, is it, it, it sort of uh, it raises a question of what true love looks like. So the way I look at it is, when you, when you think of love being like the sum of all, uh, so it makes sense then, right, that in Colossians 3, where Paul says, here's God's vision, you would be renewed. And here's what that looks like. It looks like compassion. It looks like humility. It looks like self-control. It looks like kindness. It looks like patience. It looks like gentleness. It looks like forgiveness. That he says, okay, but having said all of that, if you want to sum it all up, if you want to wrap up the package, the way you can do it is to say love. Because love takes in everything else. So I like to look at love like a diamond. Uh, so think of it as a big diamond. Women, the kind that you thought you were going to get. Um, my, my wife included. Uh, she was here last night. Uh, anyway, uh, that, uh, if you think of like love as a big diamond, right? If you hold up a diamond to the light, it has many different facets, does it? Many different sides. And as you turn that around, it glitters. Like each facet has its own beauty. It, it kind of gives you light, this brilliance, its own light. And so, uh, but it's all part of the same diamond. And so really that's what we're doing in this series is we hold up character, we hold up love. What we're doing is we're spinning it around every week. This week we're saying, hey, authenticity. This week love looks like self-control. This week love looks like, um, looks like empathy. This week love looks like humility. You see what we're doing? Each week we're spinning it around, but as we get t- towards the end of this series, we stand back and we look at that diamond and we say, oh, that's love. That all these, like if you love someone, you'll be authentic person. If you love someone, you'll put their needs and interests above yourself. Humility. If you love someone, you'll deeply care about them. Empathy. Are you with me in this? And so Paul says, so if we're going to be renewed and be like the creator, that we need to start, or we need to sum it up a single word. We need to be renewed like him in love. But of course, that raises a lot of questions of what does love look like? Uh, what is true? In our culture, many different ideas, right? We but, you know, we love everything. Like, we love ice cream. You know, I love Starbucks. You may love Disneyland. I love uh, my daughters. I love my grandkids. I love my country. I love Jesus. Right? Like, we use that word in a really broad way. So, like, what does it mean biblically to love others as God has loved us? What does it look like to be renewed so that we're loving? And so there in your note sheet, what I want to do today to get at this, I want to give you five statements, kind of five principles about love that just help us understand biblically what love is, what it isn't, and how it grows in our life. And so there in your note sheet, the section love, the principles, let's jump in. I want to start with a working definition, all right? This is going to be a working definition for today. Uh, We've done that with some of the other topics uh, throughout the series, but love is seeking someone's highest good. When biblically, we talk about love, we're talking about seeking someone's highest good. Now, culturally, we've got a lot of different uh, ideas about what love is, don't we? Like if you go to the movies throughout the years, you're going to see different vision of what love is. So for, I was thinking like back in the 70s, and I just know some of you, you know, have to go to the History Channel for this, <laughs> but, um, but back in the 70s, there was a very famous movie called Love Story. Yeah, I see some of you are old too. Yeah, and so, uh, and so, uh, yeah, like if you said, uh huh, yeah, you're old. All right, no, so, no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, so you, there's a very famous line, and I know you'll even know it. Love is never, yeah, love is never, now, obviously, that couple wasn't married, right? I mean, it's like, 
All we can say is that they don't know what they're, they're young and dumb, right? That's uh, because love is often saying you're sorry. In fact, it's saying sorry all the time, right? Because, because humility is part of love. And so, um, hey, but you know, you move into the 80s, you have Prince's Bride, right? Well, yeah, an awesome movie, right? One of my favorite. I, I, I hate watching movies more than once, but there's a few movies I watch more than once. Princess Bride is on that list. Uh, What's up, Doc? Uh, it's on that list. Uh, what else is on that list? Who cares? All right, so uh, <laughs> Princess Bride, do you remember this line? Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it. Uh, then we move a little forward in time to 1990s, and we come to that theologian philosopher, Forrest Gump. (laughs) He says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And then we move to 2005 and to a a movie that I know some of you women have memorized this. (laughs) That's the movie Pride and Prejudice. Every man's nightmare, right? <laughs> oh, no. And you have bewitched me, body and soul. Thank you. We got all the fans over here. I love, I love, I love you. And us guys, we're supposed to live up to that? I mean, I'm telling you. Okay, 2011, move the help. Some of you saw the move the help. Uh, now, hey, this is getting a little bit more biblical here. Uh, if you can have love your, if you can love your enemy... You already have the victory. Right? And so as you look at even our culture, different concepts, hey, one of the biggest ideas in our culture today is that love equals tolerance. Powerful image, powerful message. If you love someone, it means not only you accept them regardless of what they do, love means you approve of what they do. If you don't approve of what someone does, then you don't love them and you are a hater. So, so in our culture today, a, a wide understanding, kind of broad understanding of what it truly means to love. And, uh, but when it comes to the Bible, the Bible is clear that to love someone means that I'm on your team. I am pulling for you, and I'm seeking your highest good, whether, they, whether, you, whether you, we agree on what that is or not. But I am committed to seeking your highest. I'm going to put your needs and interests above my own. I'm going to seek your highest good. Now, I put some quotes here on your note sheet from four really legit uh, uh, Christian thinkers, theologians, philosophers, counselors. uh, Love this. C.S. Lewis uh, said, love is a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Love that. Uh, Dallas Willard, huge respect for him. What is love? Because he's Dallas, he's going to go in the Latin. He says, what, what exactly is love? It is the will to good, or which in Latin is benevolence. So bene, the good, volence, will. It's where our modern day word benevolence, it comes from. And he said, uh, we love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. Cloudon Townsend, favorite Christian psychologist, love as the Bible defines it is a stance of working for the best of another person. And Larry Crabb, another famous Christian counselor, to love someone now means that we desire their highest good. All right, so we're going to start with this working definition. To, to love someone, I'm going to seek your 
highest good. Now, we may disagree what that is, but I am committed to my perception of what your highest good is. We'll talk about discernment later on. Number two, the second principle is that love is more than a feeling. Now, this is very important because in our culture, as we saw from the movie illustrations, that what love is often seen as a primarily as a feeling, right? Primarily, it's a feeling maybe of warmth. It's a feeling of affection. Maybe it's a feeling of romance, depending on the kind of relationship. As love is, in our culture, primarily a feeling, what we see in the Bible is that love is primarily an action. And not, not, not that it doesn't have feelings. We'll get to that in a second. But it's primarily an action. Uh, a great passage in 1 Corinthians 13. This is probably the most famous passage on love in the Bible, uh, because if nothing else, when you go to weddings, you often hear it. Uh, of course, it's not really written for weddings. Uh, it was written for a dysfunctional church. But um, like, here's what love looks, uh, dysfunctional church of Corinth. Um, but um, but it, it's a great statement. It's appropriate to use it at weddings. And in this statement, in this chapter, the whole chapter is, a, 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 a whole chapter is committed to love, what love is. Uh, Paul lays out, catches seven positives. This is what love does. Uh, eight negatives. It's, this is what it isn't. Here's what it is. Here's what it isn't. And so if we, we go through this real quick, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking, right? Seeking the other's best. Uh, it's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. So forgiveness is a big part of love. We'll talk about the next week. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. Catch that line right there. That's the, to- the, the, the tolerance. He says, hey, love doesn't mean that anything goes. Love has moral standards. And so it rejoices with truth. It doesn't rejoice with evil. It doesn't support evil. And he says it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So seven positives, eight negatives. Please trust me, some of you are so neurotic, you're going to spend the next five minutes counting them, and you're going to lose your place, and you're going to miss what I'm about to say. Just trust me. Write it down for later. Put it in Evernote. Check it out. See if he's telling the truth. All right, so um, here's what I want you to catch. As you read through this in English, the 15 descriptors are adjectives. They're descriptive words. Remember from high school English. Love is patient. Love is kind. These are adjectives, right? But here's what you can't see. They can't see it in English, but it's really clear in the Greek, is that in Greek, they're all verbs. They're action words. So uh, in other words, that, um, it's, like, it's just very hard to translate this into English because the way our languages are different, but it's, it's like love kinds people, love patience people. Um, so there's this active, uh, this is what love does. And so what we see is that in the biblical uh, way of looking at it, love is primarily an action. Not only, we'll get there in a second, but it's primarily action. It's something we do. In fact, uh, the very respected evangelical uh, uh, Christian Bible scholar named um, uh, Dr. Fee, uh, Gordon Fee, and, uh, and he wrote a huge commentary on 1 Corinthians. And when he gets to chapter 13, he says, love, there's on your note sheet, love is behavior. Amen. To love is to what? Okay, to love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. Okay. So, so, as, so against our culture, we want to primarily look at action as warmth, affection, uh, even romance. So we want to see it as action. It's something we do where we're pursuing someone's highest good. But that doesn't mean that feelings aren't involved at all. 
Uh, in fact, uh, there in your note sheet, the next one, the next principle goes like this, that love is not less than a feeling. So it's not more, it's, it's more than a feeling, it's action, but it's not less. In other words, that, that true love catches in its mature form is not only an action, but it is a feeling. It involves feelings. And so often in Christian circles, we have downplayed this, and we have often taught in Christian sermons, love is an action, it's not a feeling. And I think that the love is an action is the right part, but the downplaying of feelings is the wrong part. Because what you see in the Bible is that love may start as an action, but mature love will, will grow into feelings. In other words, uh, who wants to be loved without feelings? Like, think, like how, how many of you, you know, have a spouse who says, I am totally committed to you. I will never leave you. I will seek your highest good. I love you. I don't really like you, but, um, <laughs> but Jesus says, I have to love you, and so I will forever. Um, I had a friend who wrote a song one this once that said, I love you in the Lord. I hate you in me. Right. So um, often in Christian, often in Christian, uh, you know, uh, it was a humorous song, by the way. It was like, uh, really from me to you, you know, I'm hard part of it. But uh, I love you, Lord, I hate you, me. So uh, often in Christian circles, we have portrayed this as if love is just an action. It doesn't really matter how we feel about you. And, and so I think a, a more accurate biblical view is that love is primarily an action, but mature love is going to include feelings. And we see that today in Colossians 3. Because in Colossians 3, it said we're going to be renewed in the image of our creator. We become like him. The very first character quality we read about today was what? Do you remember? No, Okay. Let's go. Compassion. Good, good. Front of the class. Good job. Um, all right. So yeah, compassion. Remember that list? Compassion. So compassion involves feelings, doesn't it? We've talked about it throughout this series. We've talked about it on the week we focused on empathy. We talked about the compassion of Jesus. Remember how he reached out to touch the leper? He had, it says he was moved by compassion. You remember when he, when he, he sees the, he, he goes to teach them this huge crowds out in the fields of Galilee, and it says that Jesus uh, his heart went out to them. They had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, we see his compassion towards people who are broken, sinful, coming to him. We see his compassion. So what I want you to catch is that, that love is primarily an action, but mature love is going to grow into feelings. It may start as action only. We'll talk about it more later, but mature love is going to grow into feelings. There's a, a great quote there on your note sheet by John Piper, who is a famous pastor, theologian, uh, author. And, uh, and, and he says, you know, commenting on this, this 1 Corinthians 13, he says, one thing is for sure, love cannot be equated with sacrificial action. It cannot be equated with any action. This is a powerful antidote to the common teaching that love is not what you feel, it's what you do. Yes, love is more than feelings. But no, it's not less than feeling. So often we start our journey of love, especially towards someone we're not naturally drawn to or they naturally put us off. We're often going to start with action and it's not going to involve feelings at all. We'll talk more about that later. But as it matures and grows, then we want to care because who wants to be loved like that? You know, Like even in our relationship with God, how, hey, God loves us. You know, He's like, yeah, I can't really stand you personally. You kind of tick me off, but I'm committed to love you because I'm God, so I will. You know, it's like, who wants to be loved like that? Now, number four. I'm going to spend some time on this one. 
Uh, love grows in discernment, or true love grows in discernment. What I'm really trying to say is that, uh, that mature love, it, it needs to grow. Our love needs to grow. So catch this, it's one thing to say, I'm committed to your highest good. It's another to discern what your highest good is. So for example, let's say you have a third grader. And he's coming home every day. In the last couple of weeks, you know, he just doesn't seem like he's himself on the drive home or whatever. He doesn't sound like himself. Um, he seems kind of down, depressed. You keep asking him. He, he won't tell you. And finally, uh, it comes out that there's a kid at school who's been bullying him the last two weeks. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's getting beat up at every, you know, every, you know, uh, every recess or whatever. And you're a follower of Jesus, right? And you love your son. You want to seek his highest best. But what do you tell him to do? What would love do in that situation? Do you go old school, Old Testament, and eye for an eye, son? <laughs> right? He'll never respect you until you take him down. Next time he does, boom, let him have it. He'll be surprised and you'll, it'll be over. And then you can love him in Jesus after that. But uh, <laughs> is, is that what love would say? Or would love tell your son, hey, just keep taking it. Just take the beating. Uh, you're a follower of Jesus. He's your cross, bear it. Uh, You've got a long life ahead of you to get beat up, so just hold on to this, take it as some early life. So what would love do in that situation, right? Let me give you a tougher one, maybe not tougher, but, but that, that will strike closer to home for some of us, but let's say that uh, you're married, your, your husband has been working a lot of hours, he's, he's forced to bring home a lot of work at night, and so this one particular night, he's going to stay up working at the computer in the back room while you go to bed. But you wake up at 3 in the morning, you're wondering where he is. Is he okay? Did he fall asleep in there? And you're just concerned for him. And so you, you kind of, out of your concern, you walk down through the house, the long hallway. You come to the back room. The door is mostly closed, just slightly cracked open. And you can see the light of the computer in the room. You're assuming he's probably falling asleep. So you tiptoe in. You, you slowly open the door. You don't want to scare him or wake him up. And you find him there gazing into the large computer screen with porn with other women or uh, that he's in a chat room having a romantic conversation with someone that you find out has been going on for three months. Now, what would love do in that situation? Now, I was say, hey, I'm really sorry. It's the first time. Never happened again. It's the first time out of three-month conversation. Uh, and so you just need to forgive me. Like, as a follower of Jesus, what does love look like? You just say, like, okay, that's good. We're good to go. You said you're sorry. We'll move on. Are there anything you require of him? Are there any boundaries that are set? What does love look like in that situation? Um, today we started the story. It's a 25-year-old kid, right? He's, you've raised him. You love him. You've invested in him. But somewhere, uh, middle school, high school, he began to kind of come off the rails. You, you tried to counsel him. You had him in youth group or whatever. But over the years, making more and more choices, he finally moves out. It's a couple of years into college. He moves out, gets an apartment on his own. And uh, since then, his life has gone downhill. He just will not listen. Bad choice after bad choice led to short-term job, short-term job. Um, he's kind of blowing through his relationship. He's got a growing addiction to drugs. And you love him to death, but like I said, you've let him come back a couple times. It ruins your family, especially influences your younger children who still kind of look to him as a role model, you know, even though he's on such a bad path. It wreaks havoc in your marriage. Um, and, that, and now he's calling in saying, hey, could I come back again? Uh, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'll be homeless if not. 
And there's no question you love your son. You want to seek his highest good. But what does love look like? And so love, if it's doing, uh, love has to grow. True love, mature love, has to grow in discernment. It's not just that I'm seeking your highest good. It's like, what does that look like to seek your highest good? It's not always easy to figure this out. There in your note sheet, there's a great verse from Philippians chapter 1 where Paul is praying for the church at Philippi. He says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in two things. What does he say? In knowledge and depth of insight. Notice what he's not asking for. He's not asking that they abound in more love. He will pray that, say, for the Thessalonians. But here he's not saying, I'm praying that. He says, what I'm praying about is not that you had more love, but it would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, you would, would not just have more love, but you would know what love looks like and what the right thing to do in this situation is. And so, you know, obviously in the Bible... Most of the time, I think it's fairly clear what love looks like. Uh, Love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like laying down my life for someone else. Love looks like seeking someone else's highest good, and it often may be costly. It means going the extra mile. It means turning the other cheek. Like Most of the time, we say, here's what love looks like. Uh, One passage that's really been gripping me uh, currently, just in, in my own personal kind of walk with God, is in Romans 15, where the whole context is love. you got people in the church, some who understand the freedom they have in following Jesus, and some who don't, very legalistic. And so Paul calls the ones who understand their freedom as the strong believers. He calls the one who don't understand uh, the weaker, uh, weaker brothers. And he says, hey, we who are strong, we've got more clarity. We need to bear with the weaknesses of those who are weak and not to please ourselves. Uh, powerful imagery. He says, it's like, yeah, you know, you need to kind of strap that backpack. He says, I know that they're weak, and I know that's a burden. He said, but, but what it means to love means that you're going to carry, the, the strong believer, catch this, carries the immaturity of the weak bear, of the weak brother. I mean, that's powerful. That if you're a strong believer, to love your, your brother or sister who's, who's a pain in the neck because of their immaturity, to be strong, the strong believer carries on his back the immaturity of the weaker for the sake of relationship. Right? So most of the time, I think we understand biblically what it looks like to love. But oftentimes, love is counterintuitive. Um, often, we see this in the Bible that love is not just tender, that there are times when love has to be tough. Like, let me give you an illustration. I think it's, it's important for us to understand as a church. Like, let's think of the church at Corinth. You know, highly dysfunctional church. I mentioned it earlier. A lot of spiritual gifts, but mostly very immature. And so in chapter 13, Paul writes this famous love chapter. Right? We just, we talked about that. But if you were to back it up about eight chapters, you get to chapter five, and there's a major problem going on in the church. And here's the problem. First of all, there's sexual immorality going on in the church, just kind of normal type of sexual immorality that they're not really dealing with. The, but the, the point that he's addressing here is that there's a major case of sexual immorality that's just off the map. There's a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Now we hope it's his stepmother. Right? 
Uh, well, we don't really know. So uh, the church is aware of this. The man has been talked to, but he's, his attitude is, no, that, that doesn't affect my relationship with Jesus. This is fine. So he's not willing to separate. And the church is like, oh, that's okay. At least you're in church. And Paul says, what are you thinking? He says, you need to get together as a church. You need to hand this man over to Satan and put him out of here for the destruction of his flesh that his, his, spirit might, his soul might be saved. And so then Paul goes on to say, hey, let's talk about this issue of what does it look like to love? Chapter 13 is all about love. What does it look like to love in this realm of accountability? And so he says, listen, if anyone is in your church and claims to be a follower of Jesus. Now be really clear, don't miss this. We're not talking about someone who's just checking out Jesus. So what Paul says, like, like if you're here today, and it's your first time here, or your 80th time, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're just drawn to Jesus, you're drawn to the teaching, you're drawn to worship, something here, God's working in your life, you've not yet given your life to Jesus. And you and your girlfriend are still, you're living together, right, in sin. Uh, you're in a homosexual relationship. Uh, you run a business, and you're ripping people off. It's how you make ends meet. Um, you have a reputation for being a slander or gone. He says, and Paul says, hey, it's not really our response. Like, you're welcome here at Rocky Peak. We just love you. We're glad you're here. Just want you here. Check out Jesus. But what Paul says is, but once you step over the line to follow Jesus, the rules change. Because now you move from an outsider to a family member. And when you're a family member, you have to live under house rules. And so Paul says, he, Paul had actually written them a previous letter. And in the previous letter, we're going to look at this in just a second. In the previous letter, he'd said, do not associate with sexually immoral people. Now, what Paul meant was in the people who claim to be called Christians. They had misunderstood him. They thought he meant anyone who's sexually immoral. And Paul said, are you kidding me? How could you live in culture like there's no one left? He says, so now I'm writing you this second time, and I'm clarifying. And he says, if anyone claims to be a follower of Jesus, he claims to be a brother, and yet they're living in what the Old Testament call high-handed sin. So let me be clear here. I'm not saying that you fall in sin, and you come back, and you repent, and you seek help and accountability. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who is choosing sin as a lifestyle and refuses to turn from it. He says, if anyone calls himself a brother and yet is living in sin, and he gives a long list of these, like examples, he said, don't even, you can't associate with them. He says, basically, as a follower of Jesus, you have to either choose to hold on to your sin and let go of the fellowship, or hold on to the fellowship and let go of your sin. You can't have it both ways. Now, I want you to see this with your own eyes because here's why I'm, I'm taking the time to go over this. This is so countercultural today, isn't it? And so today, in our culture, love is seen as tolerance. So when someone is living in clear sin they won't turn from, even as Christians, often we say this, at least they're still coming to church. At least they're still in my life group. Maybe we've got to get through to him. But actually, that's not what usually happens. Usually what happens, when you allow people to stay in the fellowship in high-handed sin, the message that comes through is sin is not that important. And what I've, then that's what kind of, kind of uh, 
substantiates what I believed all along. And therefore, not only do they stay in sin and misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus, but sin spreads through the body because it's contagious. So I want you to see this. It's in uh, your Bible. It's not on your note sheet um, because this was a late ad. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and the reason is because I knew if I talked about this, I'd go too long. So, uh, so I just don't put it in my notes, and I do it anyway, and I don't feel so bad. Um, so if you go to 1 Corinthians 5, um, the top of the chapter talks about the specific situation with this man living with his, uh, sleeping with his uh, father's wife. But then at the, at the end, of the, he, he starts broadening out the principle. Now remember, again, 1 Corinthians 13 is coming eight chapters later. This was what love is. So we need to understand this, that he pulls, this is what love looks like in the body of Christ. We'll see why in a minute. He says, so I wrote to you in my letter, verse 9, the previous letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. We just talked about that. But he said, I didn't mean at all the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He says, but now I'm writing, so I'm clarifying, that you must not associate with anyone who, what does it say next? Anyone who what? Can we say it together? Claims to be a brother. Are, are you with me here? Claim, in other words, they self, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. These instructions do not apply to anyone else. In the church, we usually get this backwards. We try to tell the world how to clean up their act while ignoring the sin in our midst. It's exactly the opposite. It's not our job to clean up the world. It's our job to to keep cleanliness, keep holiness in the church. He says, so he says, I'm, I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but, and he gives some examples, sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slander or a drunkard, kind of a you know, party animal or a, you know, substance abuse, that kind of thing, swindler. He says, do not eat, even eat with such people. Like, no, we send, need to send a clear message. So this is not okay. And so again, we're not talking about someone who falls into sin. They fall into sin. In Galatians 6, it says, if any of you fall into sin, let those who are spiritual gently restore them. We're talking about someone that's in a lifestyle of sin and refuses to turn. Are you clear on the difference? Okay, so then he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's none of my business, you know? He said, but are you not to judge those on the inside? Yes, we're to hold each other accountable. He says, God will judge those on the outside. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. He said, expel the wicked person among you. Now, it's interesting because I would say in many churches today, many Christian, that we would do exactly the opposite. We would have people in our church, in our fellowship, that are living in clear sin, biblically described sin, uh, ongoing lifestyle, and yet we would still say, no, it's fine for you to come to church. In fact, we, we, we want you to come to church because you'll continue to hear the word and hopefully that'll change your heart. We want you to still be in our life group. And so what Paul would say is that is love without discernment. That is tolerance. That's not love that rejoices with truth. That's a love that rejoices with error. And so... You say, well, wait a second, but how is it love to take someone who loves Jesus and putting them out of the body? And so you have to choose. You can hold on to your sin and leave the fellowship, or you can leave the fellowship and hold on to your sin. You can't have it both ways. How is that love? Well, here's what Paul goes on to say. Number one, first of all, 
When you allow someone to hold on to sin and still be part of your fellowship, you're sending a message that this is really not that big of a deal. But the reality is, it is a big deal. In 1 John, it says, anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus and doesn't obey his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The message of the New Testament, you cannot have fellowship with light and darkness. You cannot choose the dark side. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, the very next chapter after 5, Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't Don't make this mistake. He says, those that do this, 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 and this, he let long list of sins, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And somehow we've got our theology so messed up that if someone went forward when they're 12 years old or they, they pray to raise their hand when they were in high school, they can live like hell today. And we're like, well, at least they're saved. Paul says, no, saved people follow Jesus. And if we're not going to follow Jesus, you have no right to look at yourself as saved. You need to go back and say, do you really understand? Because saved people bow the knee to Jesus. Saved people have the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. And again, I'm not saying there can't be seasons or periods where we're resisting the Holy Spirit when we're in sin, but there has got, if that goes on and on, then there is no reason to believe that you're saved. Now, I'm not saying you are or not, for sure. I'm not the judge. But what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, if someone claims they think they're in the kingdom, and yet they're living in this ongoing lifestyle, they are deceiving themselves. So what happens in a church where we allow someone who's living in an outright sin to still come and still be a part and still be part of a life group? And hey, we're just still praying for it. What do we do? We're telling them that it's okay to live in sin. You're still part of the kingdom. Now, men, like, what is a greater act of crime against someone's highest good? that to let them believe a lie that they're in the kingdom when they aren't in the kingdom. See, true love will never let someone be saved. So what Jesus says to us is Jesus says, as my body, you need to act on my behalf and you need to let that person know you can't have it both ways. And out of love, you need to, now this isn't an angry thing. This is not a condemning thing. I've had this conversation many times with couples maybe living in sin, you know, living in sexual sin. Across the way, like, I love you. I want you here. But you need to understand, according to the word of God, you can either choose to be here and leave your sin, or you can choose to hold on to your sin and you can't be here. I want you here. I want you here. That is a desire of my heart. And the moment you turn from this, that's awesome. But if you will not turn, we cannot be here. You cannot be here. And that's not my choice. That is your choice. And then Paul goes on and says, and on top of that, he says, sin is contagious. He says, it is like yeast, a little bit of yeast and a big lump of dough will infiltrate the whole thing. I tell you something, if a church tolerates sin, they, cho- they tolerate fraud, they tolerate sin in leadership, they tolerate uh, sin in the congregation, can I tell you something, I promise you something, that church will grow in sin. And often I've even seen it in the unseen realm, I don't even understand that. But you often see where there's sin, it, A a church is like rampant with sexual sin. And you'll find out later that leadership was involved in sexual sin behind the scene. People knew and they didn't do anything. I I tend to believe that that when leadership is involved in sin and it's not dealt with, it it gives an opportunity 
to the enemy to infiltrate. There is a, a break in the covering over that church. And I can't prove that, but I, I do believe it's true. And so, so many went, that love has to be discerning. Sometimes love is tough. And it's not just here in 1 Corinthians 5. It's throughout the New Testament. Paul says this, if a man will not work, don't help him out. Like, like don't bail. You have someone in your life group who's lazy and they won't work. They're going through five, five, uh, financial hard times. And so I want to help them. Let's take a collection for them. Yeah, that looks, may look like love, but it isn't love. That lacks discernment. That person is lazy. They're not working. They'll never become renewed and become like Jesus without a work ethic. Right? And so love does not bail them out. Love says, hey, we'll pray for you. Uh, Paul says to Timothy and Titus, he says, warn a divisive person. You have a divisive person in your church that's causing division. He says, warn him twice, and then after that, have nothing to do with it. And you say, well, hey, that sounds like Paul. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, first of all, Paul speaks for Jesus. He's an apostle. But secondly, this is exactly what Jesus said. In Matthew 18, he says, your brother sins against you. You go and confront him personally. Try to get it work out. If it doesn't work, take it up a notch. Take a couple. If it doesn't work, take it to the church. And if, it, if, it, if he will not turn, he says, let him be to you as a tax gatherer, as a Gentile. Same exact principle. So here's what I want you to catch. As followers of Jesus, that we want to grow in love, but it's a love that grows in discernment. What does it look like? To, and this is so important because otherwise we turn into a group of soft enablers. where we just think love is always tender, and so we don't hold one another accountable. Lives are ruined. Marriages are ruined. Families are ruined. You've got a, like a rebellious kid in your house. It's ruining your younger kids are being ruined by them, and they will not turn. Man, they need to be out. They need to be out. You know, they're, they're lazy, uh, uh, late 20-something, lazy something. They're still living at home. They're in the basement, right? They don't have a job. They need to be out. Love doesn't enable, catch this, because, not because we're being tough, but because we truly care. Like there is something major going off wrong in your life, and if I enable that lifestyle, I am crippling you for life. So love is normally tender, but there are times when love has to be tough. Now, number five. The fifth one, and this is a great place to end. It's good because I'm out of time. But uh, <laughs> love grows when we act. And this is just so important to understand this. You know, we've talked today about how love is both a, uh, it's primarily an action. It's also a feeling. How mature love grows from action to feeling. But the question is, um, what do we do when there's someone in our life that we don't like? What do we do when there's someone in our life that's maybe hurt us or offended us? In fact, next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness because forgiveness really stretches love. And, and I wanted to lay the foundation of love today. But what do you do when there's someone in your life you don't like, you, you have negative feelings toward? So the question is, what do I do? And I think in our culture today, we say, well, it would be hypocritical to act like I love them. In our culture today, we would tend to say, that's not being authentic. 
But what you see in the Bible is love is primarily an action. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what you're going to see is that the Holy Spirit, as followers of Jesus, he's going to call us to love people and to seek their highest best, regardless, catch us, of how we feel about them. And this is exactly how love grows. Like if you wait until your feelings change, they probably won't. But if you will act as if you love someone, you, you, you seek their highest good, and you act as you would if you did have strong feelings, positive, your feelings will change. There on your note sheet, Lewis, C.S. Lewis says, the rule for us, this is in his book, Mere Christianity, which is kind of explaining basic Christianity. He says, the rule for us is perfectly simple. He says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Just act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets, that when you are behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently or soon come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking him all the more. If you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, I had the, uh, the, uh, the privilege, it was actually when I was working on my doctorate, and one of the courses I, I, uh, that I had the privilege of being was with um, kind of a great Christian thinker, dean of, kind of, dean of psychology, I think, for the for evangelical Christian movement, uh, his name was Dr. Archibald Hart, and he's just written a ton of books and just a, a brilliant guy. But in his book on emotions, uh, catch this, this is a long quote, but it's worth it. He said, I strongly believe that loving behavior creates loving feelings more than the other way around. When a husband says to me, I don't feel that I'm in love with my wife anymore, I usually ask, when's the last um, time you behaved toward her as if you loved her? I then request that the husband begin to act lovingly and see what happens. Frequently, I see something remarkable happen. The husband reports he begins to feel better toward her. As soon as partners start behaving toward each other, as if they're still in love, they begin to report that feeling of love comes back. And when they start being kind, patient, tolerant, unprovoking, and loving, they feel their love again. He says, prove this quite easily for yourself. Find someone you don't love I don't know if you have anyone like that, but just, you know, (laughs) keep this for a rainy day, all right? Um, Maybe a boss someday. uh, Maybe it's that person, you know, someday you'll have a a life group. It's not perfect. I know it's hard to believe, but save this for a rainy day. He says, find someone you don't love and start treating him or her as if you do. Very soon, he says, almost alarming how quickly you'll begin to see your respect building and the feeling of love will emerge. And so this is what we see in the Bible, that love is a commitment to someone seeking their highest good. And we don't have to wait until we feel like that. We don't have to wait until we feel that that what we're going to see is, remember we learned about the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. As 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 we listen and follow, we're transformed. And so many times, there can be someone in your life, it might be a mom, it might be a relative, it might be a neighbor, it might be your spouse, it could be a son, it could be a daughter, it could be a worker, it could be your boss at work. And, and as you listen to this teaching, and as you think and pray about this, God, what are you saying? There may be someone who comes to your mind, and God's going to ask you to take actions of love. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to do acts of kindness, for example. And we'll talk about this more next week. But there'll be like acts of kindness or things that you, and, and you're not going to want to do it because you don't like them. But what do we do? We listen and follow. As the Holy Spirit leads you, you will step out. And you'll act, and as you do, 
You watch your emotions begin to change. And so here's what I want to do. As we wrap up this service, I want to move into a time right now of reflection, prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come out. They are going to sing a song over us. It's a special number. It's a beautiful song uh, about love and God's calling in our life to love others. Key to renewal, right? Key to being like Him. And I want you just to spend some time before the Lord in prayer. Maybe somebody's already been talking to you. Maybe you've already written the name of the person on your note sheet or whatever, but that you begin to pray and just say, God, is there anyone in my life, is there something, a step you want me to take? You just come under the leadership of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit and let's just let these words wash over you. So let me, let me pray for us. We're going to go into a time of just being with the Lord. Lord, we just want to come and be in your presence. We ask you now to come and speak and lead. And God, we pray that you begin to bring to our minds, if there's someone in our life right now, you call this to love in really tangible ways and or you just want to increase in us our love, or you want to create a heart in us for love, we just pray that during this time that you would begin to speak and you would lead, and that as you lead, we would listen and follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. God's vision for our life is renewal, that we would be transformed, renewed by the power of his spirit. We might truly change, be like our creator. There's a lot of ways we can talk about that. We can talk about authenticity. We can look through the side of humility. We can spin it around. We can look through gentleness, spin it around, look at patience. We can talk about self-control. We can talk about courage. But we stand back. Those are all taken in by this one beautiful diamond of love. It's also the diamond of character, which is love, that we would seek the other's good, highest good, put their needs and interests above ourselves, And then as we make those choices over time, as we've learned in the series, that, that it's like a slow build. It takes time, but we grow and become the people we were created to be. So may this be a week that you're listening and following the Holy Spirit. If he's been speaking to you today here in our worship center over in the ridge, when speaking to you, there's someone in your life that God is calling you to that act of kindness, to reach out. You don't feel like it, but the Holy Spirit's calling you. Then listen and follow, because as you do, you'll be renewed, become a little bit more like your creator, and your capacity for love will grow. And as we go today, I want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, first of all, I hope you can come back next week. Uh, topic on the table next week is the last week of this series, which is forgiveness. So the reality is, the only kind of relationships that don't have hurt and pain are superficial ones. So if we want to build relationships that are going to last over the long haul, we have to learn to forgive. It's a, it's a non-negotiable, and it leads to freedom in our life. And so we're going to talk about that next week, this, this a calling to forgive that, that Paul, we, we saw today in Colossians 3. And so I hope you can be here as we wrap up this series. Don't forget also, whether over in the ridge or here in the worship center, that in both, in both places it works exactly the same way, that to my right and your left, there's a prayer team. They have badges on. If you'd love prayer today, I'd love to pray with you uh, about whatever you're facing. And so may this be a week where you listen and follow. May it be a week where you drink deeply of the love of God. May God reveal his love to you in new ways. And that as we grow in the love of God, as Paul says, that as we know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth, of the love of God, that we become filled to the fullness of God himself. And as we experience his love, then we can be conduits of his love to our families, to our friends, to our church, to a life group, and to a 
waiting world that is waiting for the light of God and the love of God to come and shine through us. Amen? God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'll see you next weekend.